awesome. I love you guys. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. It just, it's good to have the family. I love those family songs that we were singing this morning about our Father God, um, about His grace. Um, good song choices. Um, so if you're new here this morning or you haven't been around, we are working our way through Ephesians as part of the Worthy Message series, and this is uh, week four, and we're only in the second half of chapter two, so um, we might be, actually, here's, here's what we're going to do. Because, um, because I'm new at this, and this is really the first time I think I've, I've done expository, what they call expository teaching, where you kind of go through the verses like this. Um, I didn't, I, I really had no kind of scope for this. And uh, I, I, had a, I had a message uh, series on my heart that we're actually gonna start next week. So Kelly, I put an extra slide in there. It's not on your media script, but could you put up the slide for Fight Club? It's the very next one, I believe, that we put in there. We're not there yet? It's not coming up? Okay. Um, okay, so, so next, next week, I'm taking a little scenic detour, and we're going to take a three-week break from this Worthy series and dive into a series I'm going to call Fight Club, Contending for What Matters Most. And it's going to be pointed, ladies, towards the men of the house. So, yeah, I, I love it. The girls are the ones saying, woo! <laughs> So don't worry, I think you're going to eat this up too, but this was inspired not by the Edward Norton and Brad Pitt 1999 movie, first rule about Fight Club is we don't talk about Fight Club, right? That's not it. But the idea stemmed from this group of churches in our district that started a focus for their men on becoming a man after God's own heart. And I saw this and, you know, fighting for things like their faith walk, their families, character, their relationships. And I was loving what I was seeing. And I did a little research and I found out that they were inspired by an idea from one of my favorites, Pastor Louis Giglio of Passion City Church out in Atlanta. And so this, this unction that I was having in my spirit lines up perfectly for us as several of our men are preparing our hearts to go to the Destiny's annual men's retreat. That's what that insert was that I had you pull out um, a little bit earlier. Um, so men's retreat this year is going to be the first weekend in October, the 5th through the 7th, out at Camp Judson. And you'll be able to see all the details in your insert and your bulletin. Alternatively, you can go to our events page on the calendar. And you can see the cost is just $125, which covers two nights um, at the camp and five meals. And there's a deadline. All that information is there. I'd love to see you out there. If you've never been, guys, um, I, I just want to really encourage you to give it a try. Um, there's something powerful about unplugging and taking some dedicated time away to pursue God. It changes your perspective. And so anyhow, there's your pastoral invite. I'd love to see you up there. Um, and uh, Pastor Brent, I don't know if you know him, he's going to be leading worship uh, up at the uh, retreat. And Bishop Troy Carr, who I have not had the privilege of meeting yet, but Pastor Brent booked him, and if he's a friend of Brent's, I know it's going to be an awesome time up there. So, um, back to Ephesians. From week one, we've talked about how we worship all the time. Why? Because we were made to worship. And we do it all the time without even thinking if our team wins, you know, we cheer them on. Why? Because we decide that they're worthy of our cheering, right? 
And so there are people who spend hundreds of dollars just to get a ticket to go in and see a bunch of guys throw the football around. It's, it's, it's our money, it's our time, it's our energy, it's our voice. We use all of those things to declare what's worthy to us. And, and we go through the book of, as we go through the book of Ephesians, we're talking about why God is the most worthy of celebrating with our money, with our lives, with our energy, and all of it. Um, so let's stand together as we open up. I want to read from our scripture this morning. Your notes are on the back, so you can read along there. It'll also be up on the screen. Um, we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 11 this morning. And I'm going to read it out to you. You can follow along. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, and he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access and one spirit to the Father. And so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Amen. Father God, it says your word is breathed by you. Lord, breathe your word out to us this morning. God, we, we want to hear from you. God, I pray as a result. I believe that when we come together and we hear your word, our hearts are changed because of it. Do that this morning to us. Speak to us this morning. And could you do something for, for me? I'm, I'm going to do something maybe just a little bit selfish this morning. Could you just take a little bit, just a, a few seconds here and pray for me that I would uh, speak a rhema word this morning? Would you do that? Thank you. <laughs> Father God, we're just so thankful for your grace. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So one thing, I asked you to pray for me for a reason. <laughs> one thing when you do this kind of line by line and going through the word like this is you can't skip over the in more interesting parts, right? And so this, this is a good, this is a doozy this morning. And I'm, I'm excited to share, I'm excited to dig in, and I really believe God is going to speak to us this morning, amen? Um, and so, um, Abraham Lincoln, he has a, a fascinating life story. If you ever dig a little bit deeper than just the high school history books, it's pretty interesting to look at his life in the early days of his presidency and to imagine what it would be like in those days. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting to look at, but back then, did you know this? Anybody could just walk into the White House. You, you could just walk in. Did you know that? You, you didn't even have to have an appointment. You just walk in and say, hey, Abe, I've got a question. And, and people could just hang out. People slept there. People, could, people were like, I'm crashing downstairs. Is that cool? And, and, and that was a thing. And so I can only imagine that. And the Washington Monument was halfway built. 
And so it was different, I think. What was it like to live in Washington at that time? I mean, I, I told you a few weeks ago, I think it was when we started this series, my, my district travel took me to a lot of cool places. The year before last, our, our connection, our International Force Corps Conference was in DC. So I just recently played tourists there. I, I went and saw the sites. But, but at the early part of Lincoln's presidency, it was a time where there was these deep, deep divides in our country, right? About economic well-being, there was political disunity, and there was ethnic inequality problems. And I thought to myself, what is that like? A divide in the country based on politics and ethics and ethnicity? I mean, what was it like to live in an America like that? Right? It's not, it's not that hard to imagine, is it? Because it's the world that we live in. But the, the, so the Washington Post about a year ago put out this study and in this survey, 71% of the people said that the political divides alone in our country have reached dangerous levels. And I heard a speaker recently talking about the deep divides in America philosophically and that there's such a difference in just the basis, just the foundation of, of the beliefs that the differences are almost irreconcilable. And so he was, he was talking about the lack of trust and the erosion of confidence in each other in America and he was comparing it to the empires of the past that had crumbled. So interesting conversation. And, it, and it's, it's easy to look at this and think that there are significant forces at play ripping at the social fabric of our country. We could start to zoom in on specific ones and get really specific, but I wanna zoom out for a minute because we have substantial, modern, cultural, current, real issues in our country, don't we? And, and if you pull back the lens further, there's something fascinating about us as, human, as, as humans that woven deep into us is the propensity to segment off. And I mean, it goes all the way back to our school days, right? And we find some people that dress like us, they talk like us, they eat like us, they have similar assumptions and values like us, and we congregate with those people and we call them us. And we like us, right? So here's the thing. When we get a us, there's always a them. Every time we form an us, there's a them, and the people that don't talk like us, they don't dress like us, they don't smell like us, they have a different set of priorities than us, have a belief system about the world that I don't even understand why they do that, and we just tend to move into us's and them's. And so it gets to a place where I'm comfortable with these people and not with those. So if I show up at a party and there's a bunch of thems, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna text my friend and dude, I showed up at this places and there's a bunch of thems and I gotta get back to a bunch of buses. And we tend to do that. We segregate into people that we're comfortable with and people that we aren't. And the whole world does this. And we break up into some harmless ways. You know, you're in chess club, you're in, you're in golf club. Or we been, begin to break up along political lines, ethnic lines, and we begin to break up in those ways. And often, what can happen, if you look into the history of humanity, what happens? The further we get apart, and the less that I understand you, the less I understand the way that you're thinking. And what happens is a loss of empathy leads to a loss of civility. And we begin to talk less kindly to each other. 
And if you look at history, you'll see when there's a loss of empathy, that there's a, then there's a loss of civility, and then there's a loss of civility, that's, that's, there's often the birth of, birth of hostility. That if I dehumanize you, I can be inhumane to you. So just look around the world today and pull the lens back and you'll see that all over the world, wars have broken out. One tribe against another, one faction against another. You know, one set of views goes to war physically over another set of views. It's the us's versus the them's in our world is a human problem. Now here's the thing. I could talk about it as if it's a problem around the world, but let's bring it home because it lands in us. We are this way. We are this way. Even in the church, we do this. And I can remember one time where we got a call from one of our kids' schools. And we were living here in Rapid and we found out that one of our girls was really struggling. I mean, really struggling. Um, you know, kind of, kind of going into depression type, type of stuff. And, and so we, we, were, we found out, uh, you know, through just relationships and conversations, but she was doing, we found out then that, that, that there's starting to be problems at the school. And she was doing some things that were way out of character for what we knew our daughter to be. And when we dug a little bit deeper, we found out, it's none of my daughters that are here in the room, just in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> I do have two daughters here that are here this morning. I should say that, right, Bella? <laughs> and when we dug a little deeper, we found out that she was being bullied in some pretty horrible ways. Because some kids had labeled her a certain way because of her ethnic background. And she's Native American. And so I, listen, I realize this isn't, a comfortable Sunday morning conversation, but this is where the scripture is going this morning, so I'm going to go there. So, when we found out, after several conversations and prayers with my daughter, is that in her own words, she said, Dad, I started to become what they were calling me. Broke my heart. And they said that the kids from that side of the tracks did this, and after hearing it in derogatory ways enough times, she said, I started becoming that even though it's not who I am. And get this, when we talked to the principal to address it, the response was, yeah, we don't, we don't even know what to do with that. The problem is so big here on campus that we don't really know how to address it without this whole thing blowing up. So to respond in this situation, Deanna and I, um, pulled her out and we homeschooled our, our two older girls for a season before they went back. Number one, to provide some sort of healing from a really horrible situation. And number two, to teach her how to better respond when stuff like that happens. And, and so even starting in our middle school campuses, and I would say younger, we still divide into us versus thems. And honestly, I, you guys know this, I could pick a lot more dramatic and hurtful us versus thems to talk about. We all know about this. The world tends to do this. It's the world that we live in and it's in us. So what about the church? The Bible addresses this because what's supposed to be one house, when it gets divided, what happens? What does the scripture say? A house divided what? 
It's going to stand. It's not going to stand. And, and so we need to figure this out. How is it possible if the world is dividing like this on ethnic issues, political lines, philosophical lines, if we're all dividing and the divisiveness is getting uglier, what's the answer? What's the answer for the world today? What's the answer for us? So we're, gonna, we're in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, and last week we talked about our reconciliation with God. That when you come to Jesus, you're okay with him. You can leave the moment after, and after you put your faith in Jesus, you can leave knowing that you and God are cool, heaven smiles at you. The marvel of, of, of verses one through 10 is that we were brought from death to life. And yet it's, it's not just the spiritual transaction individually. As Ephesians 2 keeps going, it starts talking about the corporate implications. And so the work of Jesus is so powerful, it cannot just reconcile individuals to God, but it can reconcile even us to each other. <laughs> so God is in the business on your notes of taking formerly disparate parties and making them friends. It's like we're going back to kindergarten this morning. It's going to make us friends. <laughs> and in this session, Paul picks the two groups with the most animosity towards each other, the Gentiles and the Jews. And he says, now let me wade into a conversation that's honestly a little bit scary, and let's talk about the divide among us. So this is where we're at. He gets into it in verse 11, and he says, therefore remember that at one time, he was talking to a group of people, but he says, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So he starts in verse 11 and he says, remember, remember the first commandment in the book of Ephesians, by the way, remember it's the, it's the only commandment in the first three chapters. Three chapters of this six chapter book go by and there's no commands for us except for this one to remember in the first three. Why? Again, because before we ever do the work of the gospel, the gospel does a work on us. <laughs> God works first. And then the result of that is we work because we are his workmanship, right? So the first three chapters is all about this is what God is doing on our behalf in Jesus. And, and then in that context, he says, I want you to remember you Gentiles. Now, Gentiles is a translation of the Greek word ethne, and it's where we get the word ethnic from. And so when we use it here, when he uses it here, it's referring to everybody that's not a Jew, a majority of the people in this room, I would assume. And so he says, I want you to remember Gentiles in the flesh, and that in the flesh is talking about your physical ethnic nature. He's saying that there were ethnic boundaries between the Jew and the rest of the nation. You're separated ethnically. But then he moves along and he says, the separation has some hostility. There was some name calling. They called you the uncircumcision. That is some next level name calling. It just feels bizarre. This just took an odd turn, Paul, right? Why call them that? Why, why call yourself the circumcision? That's even weirder. <laughs> well, what they're getting at there 
is a lot of cultural practice, a lot of cultures practice circumcision, but for the Jewish people in the book of Genesis, it was a symbol that they had been given, um, that they had been given their father Abraham to show that you have a covenant relationship with me. You're close. It was a picture of we've been set apart for God. And they were meant to be a people who also had a circumcised heart. That's where that comes from, that my heart is close to God. And they were meant to be a, a connecting point between God and the rest of the nations. And so they were supposed to be a people who stepped out to help others from a privileged position. But as often happens when you're in a privileged position, rather than using it to help other people, you can tend to just enjoy or sit in it. And so rather than helping the nations who didn't know God, they started calling them names. You're the uncircumcision. And what they meant is, God doesn't like you as much. God likes us more than you. That's what it means. And so then Paul says, verse 11 again, that this so-called circumcision, but it's in the flesh, made by hands, and some are thinking, um, yeah, that feels like an unnecessary detail. What, what's, what are you talking about again, Paul? When he says it was made in the flesh, he means that they were meant to have a heart that was set, set apart for God. And the problem was, you, you guys got really good at the externals of religion, but your heart's cold. And by saying it is done by hands, we don't have time to go into this, but all through the Bible, when that statement is used by hands, it's used as something that is being built that is contrary to the heart of God. So what he's saying is there's also religious barriers here. There's a group of people that got the religious externals right and they're judging those who don't. It's like the church kids versus the kids who didn't grow up in the church. There's a religious divide, do you see it? It's ugly. It's name calling. And then Paul moves back around to it and he says, hey, those of you who are outside of the community, there's a real loss here. And he says five things about him. You, number one, you were separated from God. That, that doesn't mean that, that these people knew Christ, but that word Christ Messiah was something that they were looking forward to. When you were one of God's people, you know, you knew a king is coming to get us. You know, the world, the world is broken, but we're waiting for the Messiah. And so they had that help. You didn't have that help as a Gentile. And then he says, too, you're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. The Old Testament, God put this other nation together and said, I'm going to meet with you. You're going to be my people. And so these people weren't a part of that. He says, you have no hope of a king, no hope of being part of God's people. And then he says, the third one, you are strangers to the covenants of God's promise. These people, he's going to take care of them. But you have no promises. And so you have no hope is what it says, the fourth one. And you're just out here in the world, twisting in the wind, trying to find what life's about. So that's where you are. You're without hope and without God in the world. You don't know God, is what he's saying. So, but then he says, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, there comes Jesus. You were once far off and you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the good news. Coming in again to the picture, the good news of last week is we were all dead and God made us alive. The good news of this week is this, you were far off and God brought you near. The imagery he's using here would be sort of like an orphanage. So imagine if you will, there's, there's some kids that live in an orphanage and imagine that one of them the headmaster of the orphanage comes up and he says, you know, yeah, 
I've got some good news for you. There's a family and they chose you and they're coming to get you and they're working on the paperwork. Here's their paperwork. Here's their signature on it. Here's a photo of them and they're coming to get you. And they're, they're figuring that out and they've written you a letter. Here's a letter expressing their heart for you. They've got their legal intent and you've got their heartbeat for you. Right here in this letter, you've got a photo, you've got a date. They are coming and they're gonna get you and you are loved. What does that do to that kid, right? Even if they're in a difficult place, they know that somebody's coming for me. Somebody loves me. Somebody's coming to get me. And I have parents and I'm going home. That fills you with hope even in the midst of a difficult circumstance, right? So imagine that there's another kid there. Nobody picked them. And they're getting older. No parent wrote them a letter. There's no legal documents. Nobody's telling them how much they're loved, sending photos. You are just out there. Good luck. Now imagine the parents show up and they come and they say, we're here just like we promised. We made it. And they look at the one boy and they say, get over here. It's time to come home. And they pick him up in their arms. And then imagine that they look over at you, the other boy, the second boy that had no preparation, no intent, no idea. And he says, and you're coming too. What? I don't have any paperwork. I know, but I'm taking you home too. But I wasn't living in the promises for months and months and months. I know, but I paid for you too. I'm not even going to be someone who has this expectation. I don't know the rules and I'm not sure how I'm supposed to dress. I know and I don't care. I want you too. <laughs> And that's what God's doing. He's taking two formerly disparate parties, he's bringing them together and he's making them friends. And he says, verse 14, he himself is our peace. Not just peace internally, but he's our peace among us. These two kids brought together for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and had broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So he's made us one. You were far off and God brought you near. And in doing that, where you were formerly enemies, the God, the power of God to make a family has broken down the hostility between you and he is making former hostiles into family. That's what he's doing in Jesus' name. And the picture they use, why does he mention a wall? Can I get my two volunteers, where's Ethan? Is he around? All right. Would you give these guys a hand, Ethan and Bella? They're going to come up here. All right. Who wants to be a Jew and who wants to be a Gentile? All right. You're a Jew. You're a Gentile. <laughs> All right. And so you can look at them. You're looking at them. They're my illustration this morning. So um, this, this is our wall of hostility. <laughs> We're painting a picture here. Jew, Gentile, Wall of hostility, not getting along, okay? 
So it's, I don't understand you. I don't dress like you. I don't talk the same. You know, different backgrounds, all that kind of stuff. And so the Bible says there's a wall of hostility between them. So Bella, I want you to come. I kind of want you to come on this side of the wall. And Ethan, I want you to come up over here and you're standing over here on that side of the wall, okay? So I don't understand you. There's this separate, there's this divide. So why does Paul use this wall imagery here? Because in the temple... In the Old Testament, in Jesus' day, there was a wall in the temple, right? And so as you walked up to know God, the Jews got to walk up right close to God. Let's say Bob is God over here. We call this fire Bob. So this is the, like the holy place, the inner place. You're just going to stay right there. So you, so you're, you get to get closer to the, to the presence of God. But between um, our Gentile friends over here, they're, they're not, there's a wall there. So they didn't get to go all the way in, they, but, but the Jews got to be a little bit closer, but there's a wall, if you were the ethne, or the nations, you weren't allowed past this wall. You didn't get to be that close to God because, well, part of it is you didn't have a relationship with God, right? And so, and what's fascinating about this is had, they had a name for these people and they had a name for these people. And so, Gentile, his name is far off. You don't know God or have a relationship with him, and so you're living your life, and the cool thing is, is what God says, it's, it's not just the far off that gets to, to, to come in the temple, but far off gets brought near. So you get to come to the other side of this wall, come over here. So, you know, this is the one that didn't do all the stuff or all the preparation. Um, what they were doing, they didn't grow up, you know, uh, where they, they were knowing God, but now God has taken the far off and he's brought them near. So he's, you know, if we, if we did this right, Jesus would kick this down and there'd be splinters flying and that wall goes tumbling down, right? So now, now people hear that, though, and I imagine that some of you are saying, you know, well, Sean, that sounds really neat, but the hostility is real. It's, you know, I've, I've got some church people who've really hurt me. I've got some church people that really hurt me, or you know what, they're, 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 you're talking about how easy it is, but the reality is in our day, there's still hostility, right? And so there's, there's hostility ethnically, there's hostility socially, and, and there's, I feel judged by you. <laughs> and someone else is going, I don't understand you. And I, I, I don't, do, do, do I get to come in here or not? You know, there's that question, there's also, and there's all sorts of this judgment going on. And the reality is that some people are gonna go, well, Sean, that's, that's all nice, you know, Jesus broke it down, and isn't that great, Jesus pushed down the wall. <laughs> And you go, well, Sean, you know, that's wonderful, but how does this work? Because this is, this is real stuff, and I feel anger. And I even feel it in the church. How does this work? And so what the text says, how he does it, verse 15 and 16, it says, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ, thereby killing the hostility. So what's he saying here? I want you both to come over here on the other side of the wall now. There's real barriers, right? Real barriers. There's real issues between us. And, and, and there's real misunderstandings and real hurt. And they need, they need to be confessed and processed and dealt with across all kinds of lines. But what's the seedbed for the people to even want to get along? It says, here's what's, what God does is Jesus takes two and he walks up to them. 
to a real barrier, and this real barrier is substantial, and he says, let me introduce you to your real problem. Your real problem is that you're separated from God. There's a barrier between you and God. That's the real problem. Human, human beings, it says in scripture, are so far away from who they're meant to be under God that the Bible calls you, before you have relations with, with him, an enemy of God. That's your bigger reconciliation problem and both of you have this problem, both of you. Both you, the Gentile, have this problem because you know, you've been out doing something with your friends and we don't know what he's been doing. But he he's, he's has no relationship with God, so you're just filling your job description of, you know, of, of living apart from God, right? That's what he's doing. And you, the Jew, <laughs> you have this problem, why? Be because the Old Testament, the laws and ordinances and all that stuff that, 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 that's in the Old Testament, that stuff was never meant to make you right with God. It wasn't. You know, that's, that's why you get the book of Exodus, which is all the laws of God, and then you get the book of Leviticus, which is a book of sacrifice. It's, it's you know, okay, when, when you break all these laws, here's how we're going to sort it out so you can sort of have a relationship, you know, with God until Jesus comes and breaks all this stuff down, right? So that's the book of Leviticus in a nutshell, the, the Cliff Notes version, um, that God knew that you were going to break the law. <laughs> So we talked about this last week. You were a mess. You were dead. God made you alive. The law was not a ladder to get you to God. The law was an x-ray to show you that you're broken. That's what it was. You know, if I went to a doctor with a broken femur, a broken, you know, bone, you know, she shows me the x-ray and says, you know, your bones are not connected. See these two things? That's very not good. <laughs> right? And what they wouldn't say is, so let's x-ray it a few times and you'll be fine. Because x-rays don't heal people, they show you that you're broken. And so the Bible will say all this stuff that you were doing externally, it has value. You know, you read the Bible and, and, and you know, you got to know some things and it's good to grow up in the church, um, but that doesn't save you and it doesn't make you okay. The book of Galatians called, called the law the pedagogue, which was uh, to lead you to Christ. The pedagogue was basically a picture of this old person that would grab you by the neck and take you to school. And so the law was to show you that you're a mess. Get over here. <laughs> Grab you by the neck. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's meant to lead you to Christ. So where is this going? Where it's going is when you both realize that you did, you did a lot of work and you didn't. <laughs> you made decisions and, and maybe he judged, but then you judged too. And you had different strengths and different problems and you had hostility. Because you just didn't know each other, right? But when you realize that you're both alike and that you're both guilty, how do you, how do you get past the wall? Well, it says, it says Jesus broke down this hostility and he opens up the wall and you guys get to walk through now. So go ahead and walk through, take your spot. These guys get to walk through. So, yeah. He did it through the cross, right? And, and, and so that's Jesus who, who is perfect and he didn't have a barrier, but he stepped across it. Stay there for a second. And he took on this life that we were meant to live and he lived it. And he took on the punishment that we were supposed to be punished by and he absorbed it. It says that's why they took, he, he took the two of you and he made you one man and that one new man 
was reconciled to the cross. So it's interesting, this picture, I would go ahead and put your arms around each other, the shoulder or something. So it says, God made them one man. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Good job, guys. So they're never gonna do this for me again. When you realize that both of them got there by grace alone, here's the thing. Humility is the seedbed of our unity. Let that sink in a little bit. Do you see that? When you realize that it's only by grace that they got here, you can't be judgmental. When you realize it's only the kindness of God that got me here, you can't be entitled. And you realize both of us don't deserve to be here, but by grace, it's amazing, I'm here. (laughs) And when that lands on you, that humility becomes a seedbed of our unity. That's why God is worthy of our praise because he's breaking down the barriers by the blood of Jesus. And it's even powerful enough to unite us as versus them. Give them a hand. Thank you. You can sit down. So I remember getting to sit in um, at uh, some addiction meetings a few different times. Our church in Thornton had this really big Friday night celebrate recovery program. It was amazing to watch 100 plus people would show up on Friday nights and the humility, this is in North Denver, and the humility among people who are rich and wealthy and successful and poor and homeless sitting around at the same table and it wasn't judgmental. They weren't focused on the differences. They were focused on the fact that they were all addicted and they couldn't solve it themselves. You know, all my money couldn't solve it. My life couldn't bring me the peace that I wanted. So they all realized we're all alike in our trouble and we're all alike in need. And you saw people who were as far apart as socially as possible come together. Why? Because humility brings unity. And I can still remember one of the first times I was part of a communion moment here at Destiny. We were back in the Elk Street building. I didn't do this often, but I remember very early on, we must not have had enough people serving. But I was, it was one of those times, a Sunday, that I got to be one of the people up front serving one of the communion elements. And this was early on, very early on in my ministry, probably back in 2001. You know, holding the bread and the juice for others to come up to partake. And I remember I stood up there and I remember being struck. The first person that came up to me was a guy that had been doing prison ministry and he quotes scripture all the times and he's just one of those people that makes you think you're so holy and you're so good, you know, and you're so right. And he walked up. The body of Christ was broken for him. This is what it took to make him okay. And then the next guy comes up and he's a teen who I'd just gotten out of juvie. You know, he's trying to get his stuff back together and I'd been meeting with him and his mom as his youth pastor and he was trying to stay off of drugs, but he walked up. The body of Christ was broken for him. And a little girl, got, you know, came up and that one wrecked me and I started crying, you know. <laughs> and on it went. Economic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, all different kinds of backgrounds, all coming to the level ground at the foot of the cross because we all need grace. And when you realize that we all need grace, suddenly that humility becomes the seedbed of our unity. I want you to write these down. And I'm going to take my time with them because I want them to sink in. 
when I'm humble, I can come in listening and not loud. When I'm humble, I can come in with empathy and not entitlement. When I'm humble, I don't come in to talk bad about people. I come to speak life to people. And when I'm humble, I don't come in with a critical spirit. I come in with a contributing one. And that will build a beautiful church. When we realize that Jesus purchased for us level ground regardless of our background, regardless of how goody-two-shoes you were, or how messed up you were or are, it doesn't matter, regardless of wherever you may have come from life, we all have to kneel at the foot of Jesus who's turning enemies into friends. And if he's turning, if he's turning hostility into family, then I wanna join him in that work. Let me tell you, one of my favorite things to do is to get together with a big group of Jesus people. <laughs> Deanna and I, uh, for years, we went to a whole slew of national youth workers conventions and, so, and you'd get three, four, sometimes six or 7,000 people in a room. And so you've had, you'll have these pastors and leaders who'd been in ministry for decades and there's guys like me right now in this position, you know, who are like brand new to the block. And you, you'll, have, you'll have ages from the, from the gray hairs all the way down to the barely underarm hairs. And, you know, and so there's many, many different denominations that were represented there. Every color of skin is represented in all different manner of places and neighborhoods, but we all get together. And, and some of my, Chris Tomlin and David Crowder would get up on stage many times. They were some of the regular worship leaders at these things and we would worship and we'd dance and we'd praise Jesus in a way that just blew me away. It just wrecked me. It didn't matter all those differences. We were there because of Jesus' grace and you could feel that in the room. There's nothing quite like worshiping with a few thousand youth pastors, by the way. I told you should try it sometime. Because there's something so powerful about getting together and sitting and listening to other people in the room and breaking bread, worshiping together. Humility was pervasive because we all knew that we were there by grace and we knew that we didn't deserve to be there. But there's a beautiful unifying moment because you can go in hearing and you can go in understanding because you understand because we came in with a listening posture, right? So as I've been preparing for this, I've been looking at this map and this graphic this week. This is a map of Rapid City and the surrounding areas um, where many of us call home. Let me just read this uh, from some data I collected for this area. This is from 2018, 2018 data. Rapid City's population is over 74,000. City has a total area of over 55 square miles and has a population density of over 1,226 people per square mile. It's the 471st most populous city in the United States. Over 80% of Rapid City's population is white, so that's about 57,000 of us. 
12.4% is Native American. It's around 8,000. 1.1% is black. 1% is Asian. Those are about 1,000. And over 4% of the population is of Hispanic or Latino origin. 4% um, are mixed race, about 4,400. The largest age group is between 25 to 44. That's accounting for about 25.7% of our total population. Nearly 24% of the population is under the age of 18. Take note, next-gen ministry is very important. While 14.5% are at least 65 years old. <laughs> so there are slightly more female residents than there are male residents, making up 50.5% of the population. And then approximately 12.7% of the population lives below the federal poverty line. And Rapid City is growing. When my family moved away in the summer of 2010, the population was just at 68,000. Now we're somewhere around you know, 74,400. That's another 6,000 people in six years. So anyway, there's a story here, right? There's a story here, and if you grew up in the area, hopefully you know some of our history, you've heard some of that story, but there's an even deeper story in all of that that I wanna understand, and you should too. You know, if this is your community. And I'll be honest with you, as much as I wanna understand it, I don't. I know bits and pieces. I know some of the broader conversations like probably most of you do about broken treaties with our First Nations people, about the flood and the economic growth that, that kind of happened after that. But you know, what's the story with this 12.7% that's living below the poverty line? You know, I, I understand that there's a story here and that I don't get it. And so what am I gonna do? I'm gonna come in listening and I'm gonna come in learning, and I'm gonna come in with empathy. I'm gonna come in with a posture that says, help me understand how we got here. Help me understand how we all feel, and help me understand how we can move forward as a community, as the family of God here in Rapid City. But the grounds for that pursuit of unity is humility, of knowing that we're all at the foot of the cross together. And one of the things that I'm most grateful for in life is brother and sisters who are from diff different ethnic backgrounds than me, helping me understand. It's something I had to ask God for. Coming from middle South Dakota and going to college in South Dallas, which at the time had the highest violent crime neighborhood in the United States. I had a, an awakening of sorts, being immersed in this sea of culture. And I can say, and I'm, I'm just trying to be honest, it wasn't all that pleasant. And it definitely wasn't all easy. And so, in addition, I can tell you that as I begin to know and understand my wife coming from her Native American background and the heritage, the more I found out, the more I understood that I really didn't know too much. So I'm just saying humbly this morning, somebody, please, speak into my ignorance. 
And some of you might say, well, Sean, you know, you're, you're making it look so easy. Will it be easy? No. No, it won't be easy. There's so much animosity. Even preparing to share this talk, we're not even going that deep into the issues. I'm not going too deep, but if you're like, well, let's just hopscotch through a minefield, you know? Shall we? Here's a great way to hurt some feelings. But here's the thing. Read the New Testament. When you read it, when you read it, every time you read the message of Jesus crossing into cultural barrier, there was friction. And it started socially. At one point, it was even between just the Jews, you know, between the Jerusalem Jews and the Jews that were more Greek Jews. It, it was just the Jews that had lived in a different part of the world and dressed differently. And, and the one group was not giving bread to the other group. And the apostles had to come and say, hey, look, what's the matter? Give the woman some bread. They had to work it out even across that line. And then someone went to the, then someone went to Samaritans who were half Jewish and other people were like, is this even legal? Can we even do that? Yes, Jesus purchased for that group too. Okay, all right, well that's cool. And then they began to move the people that weren't even a little bit Jewish. And they had all kinds of conversations about that. You know, what do we have to do? And do they suddenly have to become Jews? Do they not? And how do we work this out? And there was friction at every level. And you had the Apostle Paul having to stand up at dinner and he had to call Peter out because Peter used to sit with everybody, but when his Jewish brothers showed up, he just started sitting with them and now with the non-Jews. And Paul had to stand up and say, hey, Peter, what are you doing? You used to hang with all of us. You're not being consistent with the good news of Jesus. That's what he said to him. This is inconsistent with our message. Jesus purchased all of us took the two and he made us one and he bound us together. Don't you separate that. And so that's the ground we come to. And yet some of us hear this and we go, this is so motivational, Sean, but you, here's the thing, um, unity, unity is a huge hassle. It's so much just easier to, just to be with the asses. You know what I mean? That's the world. People that talk like me and act like me. It's just so much easier to be with the us's. I like being with the us. And so you're saying, let's understand people from different backgrounds. Let's hang out together and figure all this out. Sounds like a lot of, a lot of work. Why would I want to do that, right? Why would I want to go into that? Paul looks at the implications here and he says, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household. I love that. He says, you were strangers. That's the same word as tourists. But he says, now you are fellow citizens. When you came to Christ, you were a tourist. Now you're a local. And he says, you were an alien. The word there is house and the word para is alongside. So there was a house and you weren't in it. You were over there. And he said, so you were alongside the house and now he says, you're in the house. You're in the house of God, members of the household of God. God is building a house and he's putting you in it. So you need to figure out how to live together. <laughs> I've got seven kids. And I remember when Michaela was born, our daughter, she's right over there. The moment that she came into the world, if, if there was things that were true, there were things that were true about her, right? When she came into the world, she was my daughter forever. She was knit together with me, part of my DNA, forever loved and cherished by me. Her life was bound to my life. And she had a connection with her father that would never pass away. But in that same moment when she was born, she was also instantly a sister because Bella was already around then. And Autumn and Cynthia were also part of the family through adoption. So in the same way, she was vertically connected with the father. She was connected horizontally with her sisters. They weren't all separate. Like, you know, she has a relationship with, you know, her and she has a relationship with me. We were bound together. We all have relationship together, right? And so 
It's interesting because, you know, the church is the same way. We tend to focus, you know, on Ephesians 1.10 where individually I'm connected to God and individually you're connected to God. It's all about my individual relationship with God. And even in moments like this, we kind of worship with, I'm here in my seat to worship God and I'm going to have my spiritual moment and I'm going to be filled up. And you happen to be doing that in the same room, you know, because the band's here and we're all singing together, but I don't really need to hang out with you. So I'm just going to have my spiritual moment and you have your spiritual moment and I'm just going to be here worshiping God, audience of one, just me and Jesus. It's only you and me here now. Well, I hear a bunch of other people around me, but I'm going to pretend that they're not here because I'm having a spiritual moment. And if you want to have a spiritual moment, that's fine. But can, can you do it like one seat over? Because I like to worship wide. <laughs> and, and so I don't, want to, I don't want to touch your elbow. So if you can just have a, your spiritual moment like a seat over there, then I'll have my spiritual moment here. You know, that kind of thing. And you're like, man, I just want to do my moment, not your moment. But here's the thing. It doesn't work that way. God says I built a family and your relationship with me is intimately tethered with the relationship with us. The, greater, the greatest thing my kids can do for me is get along. <laughs> the greatest way to honor me is to love each other. I can remember a time when Bella, older than Kella, took her favorite stuffed animal in the world, her little bear, and gave it to Kella to play with one day, and she just said, here, Kella. And I was like, what just happened? <laughs> The walls came down. <laughs> it's so crazy. There's like peace in the Middle East right now. How did that happen? It's unbelievable. Thrilled my heart, right? And so for you, I want my spiritual moment. You have yours. That's not how it works. God has built a family. And let me tell you this. The grounds for our unity is our humility. Nobody's better than anyone else. But the goal of our unity is glory. It's grounded by humility. I don't deserve to be here, neither do you. Can you believe that we got in here? But the goal, why we press in, even when it's challenging sometimes, is for glory, because it glorifies God when we get along. Think of it this way. Brent, you can come up. Let's see if this makes sense. Imagine that there's a song that came out in the world, and it landed in the news. There's a song that's uniting white people all around the world. From Akron, Ohio, all the way down to Daytona Beach, the white people love it. And you would say, mm, okay, congratulations. What is it? Polka music? You know, <laughs> what is it? But if I come to you and I said, there's a song that just came out and people from all different colors and cultures and languages and age groups are uniting this around this song. Everybody is downloading this song. It's this global phenomenon. What happens in you? You think, you know, I want to hear that song. Why? Because the song gets more glory because of the unity. Do you see it? Unity brings glory. If it's uniting people, I want to know what that's about. And this is what's beautiful. Paul switches the metaphor here. And it's not that you've both been, it, been brought into the house, but he switches it and he says, here you are the house. In verse 21, he says, in the whole structure, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He says, you are the structure. And when we are built together, we become a temple. And when we become that temple, we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you have him individually when you trust Christ, but we as a community, have you ever come into a space and you say, man, I can just sense his presence. I can just sense his presence when I walk through the door. There's something about, you know, it's not, it's not like the Holy Spirit was looking for a room and he says, you know, the anemones here are really nice. I think I'll come in here. No, 
It's when the people of God who have been saved by grace of God, they say for the glory of God, I'm gonna love us and we're gonna work through differences and we're gonna listen and we're gonna take care of us and we're gonna walk together. When that happens, it ushers in the glory of God. What else could bring you all together? This whole different, you know, barrage of people. When my daughter Kella was a little bitty, she was playing with some Langos, and I remember her separating out the colors because she's a little bit OCD like me. <laughs> and she built this building, and it was all this one color, and it was nice, but it, you know, it, 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 was, it was just nice. And I left the room, and I was doing something else, and I came back, and Bella, who was a little bit older at the time, they were both little, maybe Bella was three, and suddenly this tower was taller than them substantially. And I walked in and was like, how did you do that? The mechanics of how their little stumpy bodies, you know, and then we'll get this up here. You know, I don't know how he did this. And I remember walking in and telling them, this tower is unbelievable. What on earth? And you go, how did it get so big? It's because Bella brought all the colors together. It was more powerful together than separate. Do you see that? Even Jesus, why don't you stand with me? Even Jesus, when he built his inner 12, I love this about him, he picked a zealot, and then he picked a tax collector, and he picked someone who worked for the government, and he picked someone who was committed to overthrowing the government. <laughs> and they were in the inner 12, and can you imagine what that moment was like? You know, I want you to be on my team. Well, thanks, Jesus, I'm so glad. No, 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 no. He doesn't get in. Yes, they do. And so do you. And I'm going to bring you all together so that when the world sees it, different political parties, different ethnic, worshiping together, you know, we hear it as pastors. What kind of church is this? What do you mean, what kind of church is it? It's a Jesus church. This church is for everybody the drunk, the broken, the young, the old, the lonely, the broke, the blessed, the healthy, the sick, the black, the white, every other color, every other shade of brown and color variation there is. We want you, this place is for you. And, and, and doesn't that mean we're gonna have some conversations? We have to. Does that mean that I'm gonna need some help? We're all gonna need some help? Yeah. But if we come humbly at the foot of the cross and we have our eyes that it, it brings glory to God for us to get along, then it's going to be pretty powerful. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Thank you, God. We just say only you can do it. You bring us. You break down the wall of hostility. God, by our very nature, God, we separate into us as versus them. Let us see that it's by our humility of finding grace through you, Christ Jesus, that it, when we come together humbly, when we come together listening with empathy, with broken hearts, Lord, it will bring glory to your name. God, break our heart for the things that break yours. In your mighty name your mighty name. Can you just agree with me this morning and say amen? Amen. 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 Woo! <laughs> Lord
Lord Jesus, let your word just sit on our hearts, our spirit man. And Lord, may we go as sent ones this morning, carriers of your glory, your fame. In Jesus' name we pray. Listen, if, if you have not yet said yes to Jesus, we have, we're going to have some people up here, that are altar team that's going to be praying with you. If you have any kind of need, we want to make that opportunity available for you this morning. I'm so thankful that you are here. Um, and Lord, I just pray that this word goes with us as we go. Amen? Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. Go out and give them.